You're listening to the Ministry Grow Show, brought to you by Reliant Creative, the creative agency for gospel-centered ministries. Find out more at ReliantCreative.org. Welcome to the Ministry Grow Show, a podcast dedicated to helping churches and ministries grow and make more effective impacts for the kingdom of God in an ever-changing digital world. Whether you're building and growing a gospel-centered ministry or leading a church, if you want insight into the strategies, struggles, challenges, and successes of other ministry leaders, you've come to the right place. Welcome back to the Ministry Growth Show. Today on the show, I'm going to be talking with John Evans. He's the president of Good News Prison and Jail Ministry. John, thanks for being on the show. Well, thanks, Zach. Glad to be with you. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about the ministry? Um, maybe why does Good News Jail and Prisons Ministry exist and, and what do you guys do? Sure. Uh, founded in 1961, um, our ministry focuses on placing chaplains in jails in the United States and then in jails and prisons around the world in order to minister to the spiritual needs of inmates and staff, particularly sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with them. Okay. So so there, there's an emphasis on chaplaincy. That's correct. So our, the uh, chaplains are our staff members and they go into government spaces at invitation and they have the opportunity to uh, share the gospel, lead Bible studies, pray with people. In the U.S., all of our chaplains serve as the chaplain of record inside of the facilities where they serve. Okay. And from the from your website, it looks like you guys are an international organization. What does that look like on an international scale? So the Lord's opened up doors primarily in the last 20 years all around the globe where people involved in prison ministry reached out to us, said, hey, can you come help us? Can you equip us? Can you train us? Can you guide us? Can you resource us? And so we've come alongside pre-existing ministries in most of these countries and uh, provided training, equipping, strategy, resources to, uh, to help them to be more effective. Overseas, some of our chaplains overseas are full-time uh, but many of them are working from the community, mobilizing churches and then bringing people inside. The African continent, for, for instance, many of the countries actually have chaplains, people who are assigned to be religious program leaders. But our folks bring the gospel. They bring community Bible studies. They bring other programs in uh, on a weekly basis in order to uh, disciple and evangelize and then work with the church community to be aware of the needs of inmates and then also to equip the church to send volunteers in. So a little okay. bit of a hybrided role overseas, a little bit different than what we do in the U.S. Okay. So it, there's, there's some, it just depends, like sometimes it's volunteers, sometimes it's local national partners, and sometimes it's staff. Correct. Correct. In the U.S., it's all staff overseas. It, it, there's a, uh, a whole variety of ways that we come alongside the church and try to, to impact the community behind bars. Interesting. Do you, I'm sure you guys run into, depending on the country that you're working within, different barriers to entry with every country, yeah? Oh, there are. Absolutely. And when you're in a war zone, uh, we have chaplains in the Ukraine. Uh, we have a couple of teams who serve in Russia. Uh, we have chaplains in Pakistan. We have chaplains in Venezuela. So the economics, the political climate, all of it has some impact on when we can go, how we go, where we can go, and uh, the extent of the ministry. So yeah, there's a, a large variance overseas. Interesting. Yeah, and so you're. I'm, I'm sure you guys are leaning heavily on those national partners to provide guidance in those in those areas that are the uniqueness within each country that that arises yeah yeah and and our function overseas has always been to train up nationals so we have no americans overseas everybody overseas is ministering inside of their own culture and context so we're coming alongside of them uh to help them uh minister more effectively with a community that they're much more familiar with than we are. Okay. And then what, within um, the States, what was, what's the thought process behind only working with staff chaplains versus partnering with other chaplaincy organizations that might already exist in any given region? 
Well, in the jail space, so we have over 3,000 jails in the United States. So that's separate from the state prisons where there's about 1,000 of those and then the federal system where there's a couple hundred. Um, every county basically has a jail in the United States um, or every town. And so mm -hmm. uh, it's a space where there are very few organizations that have any more than one chaplain in one county. There's a couple that are statewide, but we're the only organization that we know of that crosses county lines and crosses state lines. We have chaplains in 22 states. So we have the largest chaplaincy force, about 75 in the U.S., um, ministering in the, in the community jail and the county jail space. So there's just not a lot of people to join with. There's a lot of landscape. There are plenty of places mm. to be. Um, yeah. We're only touching about 100 of those 3,000 facilities. So there's a lot of... Uh, a lot of independence because there's just not right. a lot of people who are, who are working in the same spaces. Interesting. All right, cool. So as we start our conversation today, can you share some of your background with us and give us some context for maybe some of the topics that we'll discuss today? Um, how did you get into this ministry? how did you get started working um, with good news jail and prison ministry? Sure. I, um, so I was a Bible college and seminary grad and the Lord launched me into business. So I spent 16 years in the defense industry working as a contractor, uh, ended up as chief operating officer of a division of um, one of the largest uh, contractors in the U.S. But I began going to jail in the year 2000, I'd never been to jail, didn't know anybody had been to jail, went in with a friend of mine to lead a Bible study. And that was my first exposure to um, uh, jail population. It was my first time uh, sharing the gospel with the jail population and rubbing shoulders mm -hmm. with people that maybe I'd seen uh, people on the street, but I didn't know that they'd been to jail because nobody knows about these things. And uh, so got involved with the chaplains who are responsible for bringing the volunteers in and then got involved with the organization as a member of the board of directors. And then when uh, the position opened in 2012, my predecessor retired. Um, the Lord led me out of the business world and then back into the, to the ministry space. So that's how I got involved. So I joined uh, the staff uh, nine and a half years ago. And, uh, okay. So that's how I went from volunteer to now seeking to serve and support uh, 300 chaplains here and around the world. Interesting. That's a cool journey. I Man, we could have a whole nother podcast on your defense contractor, businessman side of things. That would be really interesting to learn about. Well, it's interesting. You know, the Lord prepares us all in unique ways. And um, uh, in that role, I prepared for remote operations, prepared for working with teams that are scattered. Um, mm -hmm. The last several years, we had a couple of divisions of ours that were overseas, so got exposure to uh, rules and regulations of working overseas. So um, while it wouldn't seem to line up, it was pretty uh, interesting how the Lord takes all of that and prepares me to sit in this seat. So it was kind of a, yeah. a wonderful journey. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. It's, it's always one of the cool things about this podcast is, is meeting leaders of organizations who have either been in ministry and entered into the business world or vice versa. And to see as they share their stories to see how God like was clearly working in and through their career path to set them up for what they've been doing in ministry, maybe later in life and, and all the skills, knowledge, experience, insights that they gained early in that career to set them up for um, oftentimes maybe the second half of their career in ministry um, in really, really unique and cool ways. So it's, it's, that's one of the fun parts about this show is getting to see those stories and how God is always just orchestrating in really um, creative ways to set his people up for um, serving in and investing in the kingdom. So your story is just like a lot of leaders that I've talked to. It's been, it's been cool to see. Now, you met, we mentioned this, this uh, your in-state work that you guys, or in-country work that you guys do, and then your international work. Uh, what are some of the main factors contributing to the high rate of incarceration in the United States compared to other countries? What are some of those nuances that you notice between the two? 
Right. In the U.S., we call it mass incarceration because we have the largest number of people behind bars and the largest per capita count. So no matter how you measure it, we're the best at it. And that's unfortunate. Um, The growth in incarceration in the United States actually dates back into the 70s. As both sides of the political aisle began to become tough on crime, the war on drugs, all of these are buzzwords that you heard. These are the things that began to increase the jail population. Um, Three strikes and you're out, uh, mandatory minimums. All of these uh, were movements that had um, public safety in mind in terms of protecting the public and punishing offenders. but the uh, unforeseen, perhaps, or the unintended consequence is the reality of placing all of these people behind bars. Today, there's over 1.8 million Americans who are behind bars um, on a daily basis. And so uh, good intentions have led to an increase in uh, the jail and the prison population significantly. The challenge that we face across the board, and you can ask any corrections official on the planet, most would agree with me. The problem is, is that um, incarceration doesn't work as a concept. Mm. Take a bunch of people that have done something, lock them up with a bunch of other people who've done something else, hold them for a period of time, then release them and expect them to behave differently. Little to no chance that that's going to have any redeeming effect upon the Mm. individual. And yet no one's really come up with a better system. (laughs) Dates all the way back to the book of Genesis, you know, book of Genesis, prisons existed. So prisons seemingly have existed so long as civilization and cities, towns, countries have, have been on the planet. Um, So the challenge is we have all these people who are behind bars in the U S we have a concept that, in and of itself does not reform the individual. So that contributes significantly to the biggest problem, which is recidivism. People being released and then ultimately returning typically in short order. Um, And so it's a perpetual problem that the government continues to to work on. Um, But we know as believers that the true problem is the heart of man. And so Mm -hmm. that's really where our opportunity is, is that we believe that when the heart has changed, then behavior change. Then you have a chance for an individual to walk in a new path. Then you have an opportunity for the family to be restored. Then you have an opportunity for communities to be restored. But there has to be a change inside of that individual, and that, and that only comes through faith in Christ. So that's our message. That's our method. And so that's that's what we're, we're shooting for here. Mm. And so within that that method you mentioned evangelism you you've mentioned discipleship what are some of the the disciple making models that you guys are using within within your strategies so one of the biggest challenges in a jail is that the typical stay the average stay is about 30 days and that includes all of the people that are there for 24 hours and and the length of stay in a state facility or in a county facility is typically less than two years, 18 months max in terms of sentence. So that doesn't give the chaplains always a lot of time to work on, we'll say a longstanding discipleship program. We have a couple of chaplains that serve inside of the Colorado state system. Two of them are at Lyman um, correctional facility. Well, Lyman is for the worst of the worst, mostly lifers. So they got a lifetime (laughs) <laughs> of ministry opportunities right. with the same population who isn't going anywhere. So in the jail, it's a little bit different. Um, one of the tools that we use that we've been producing for years is we have a Bible correspondence program. So it's a self-paced program whereby the individual is working through as many as 400 different Bible lessons. Starts with the book of John and they work their way through that. So they're uh, constantly looking at the scripture The studies do not direct them to what do you think about this, direct them to what does the scripture actually say so that they're repeating it over and over. Because in a jail, unlike in a prison, um, there's very little movement of freedom of movement. And so individuals are confined to their cell or their pod significantly. And so um, they can't go in most facilities to go find the chaplain or 
reach out to resources. The resources kind of have to go to them. So particularly during COVID, meet, or meet in small, Bible lessons small have been incredible. Yeah. Okay. Um, so Bible studies as as small groups, Bible lessons on a self paced level. Those are two of the key components that we utilize. Okay. So uh, really allowing the the Holy Spirit to work through the Word. Correct. And so it's the Word of God that we want to drive them to. Not to not a book that tells them about the Bible, but actually to the Word itself. Interesting. Okay, cool. And and as you guys have grown and developed the ministry, what are some of the challenges and struggles you've faced? Um, obviously that being one of them, but what are some of the other things that are, that are struggles? Do you find that there's a lot of misconception on the donor side with with um, prisons and jails and what's going on with the incarcerated in both our country and otherwise. Is there a lot of education that needs to take place uh, to help them understand what's really going on and, and how broken the system is? We don't focus on the system so much as the individual because okay. the system is what the system is. And the by virtue of our role inside of a jail, particularly, um, we're kind of the neutral third party. We are not pro-administration or anti-administration. We're not pro-inmate, anti-inmate. We're not pro-police, anti-police. I mean, we're, we're pro the truth, right? We're pro God's goodness and God's love to whomever is, is willing. We believe in peace. We believe in justice. We believe in all of those things, but we're not for or against any element of it, recognizing it, the system is flawed. But in the United States, we have the most fair, most wonderful justice system on the planet. Inherently flawed, though, because it's people, right? right? So, so there is that. The, the biggest challenges as a ministry um, are, number one, recruiting people. Our, our uh, founder made the statement in 1962. He says, no one ever went to school to become a jail chaplain. And it still holds true that virtually mm. none of our chaplains <laughs> went to school with that intention, probably other than one or two of them. We have a couple guys who were formerly incarcerated and they came out of their incarceration and said, I want to minister as a chaplain went to school just for that. But for the vast majority of our, of our chaplains, that isn't how God moved. Um, so getting people to think about this as a, as a ministry opportunity is, is a, is a significant challenge. Um, in the United States, I would say by and large, uh, the church is sympathetic toward the plight of the incarcerated, probably because it is such a uh, an economic problem, a social problem because of the size of it, right? Mass incarceration. Incarceration is not spoken of in, in positive terms, right? So most everybody looks at the individuals and has a measure of sympathy, empathy, what have you, toward the people who are behind bars, even ones that have done, you know, uh, committed horrific things. Overseas, though, it's dramatically different. Partly because overseas, the people who are being incarcerated and 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 jailed or, or placed in prison for a long time have done pretty significant things. They don't arrest people for all the same petty things that we arrest them for in the U.S. And so uh, for many, the church overseas is more of the uh, lock them up and throw away the key. So there's a whole education process about remembering what the Great Commission is, remembering about the forgotten peoples that Christ spoke of in Matthew 25, when he reminds people, oh, by the way, yes, the sick, the, the hungry, the thirsty, but there's the prisoner as well that I want you to remember. And that will be a reflection of your faith, how you treat them. So there's an education in that regard. I think the education that we do in the U.S. is more toward what we do specifically and what the opportunity is and the reality that if your local jail has a daily head count of 400, there's four or 5,000 people who will pass behind those bars in a given year with all the arrests and so on. And by virtue of having a chaplain, particularly one like a good news chaplain in that facility, every one of those four or 5,000 people at a dark point in their life will have an opportunity to hear the gospel, receive a Bible, have someone pray with them or talk about spiritual things if they care to. Take out the chaplain we're not funded by the government because there are 
no local jails that I know of that currently staff their chaplaincy with a government person. Doesn't mean there isn't one. I don't know of any. Again, we work inside of a hundred of them. So there are probably some out there, but I don't know of any personally. So they need to provide for religious programming, but most can't do what we do. And that's why we exist. We step into that space and provide all of the programming needs and expectations for the facility for all of the religious programming in the form of a good news chapel. So, okay. And, and we talked about this a little bit already, but how can chaplaincy programs in local jails and prisons help reduce recidivism rates among the incarcerated? So it provides a uh, pro-social, spiritual program for them. So even if they don't embrace the gospel fully, they still are introduced to concepts which will enlighten them, encourage them, redirect them, cause them to think differently about how they are living their lives. I was in a faith, we have a couple faith pods. Most jails can't have them, but we have a few around the country that we operate. We call them life learning programs. Omaha, Nebraska, a guy stood up sharing his testimony. He says, my plan is I've been in and out of jail for the last seven years. My plan was to come in, do my time, go back out just like I know and do what I normally do. He said in this program, where they're studying life from a biblical perspective, 40 hours a week. He says, in this program, I've discovered there's another way to live. Now, you and I would think that to be nothing. Of course, there's another way to live. But if you come from a particular neighborhood, a particular family, a particular background, a particular mindset, and that's the way that you live and operate, there may be other alternatives, but they're outside of your reach. They're outside of your understanding. And so... Uh, the gospel message can transform the heart and that sets you on a path to something completely new where God, by his grace, is going to work in, in through your life. But just by being introduced to biblical concepts of responsibility and accountability and love and relationships, all of those things can be transformative in an individual's life, even if they don't embrace, you know, we'll say God's perspective of their life. So, uh, Lots of different ways that the gospel message can influence life, the mind, and ultimately the behavior of the individual. Okay. The, you mentioned earlier the, that many of the people that are incarcerated are coming in and out of jails are coming in for 30 days or less or, or shorter sentences, but repeatedly, right, for a lot of the same offenses. Um, do you find that those that are coming in on shorter stints, 30 days or less, but coming in regularly, incarcerated regularly or, or, or um, versus those that are in for longer periods of time, the success rate of somebody who has had a chance to maybe they're maybe they're in in prison for a two year, three year stint. They've had a chance to go through your programs for that longer period of time their recidivism is less likely because they've had a chance to go through that process for a longer period of time? I don't think that there is a predictor that okay. says, hey, if you were here for three years and you do everything that is asked of you or engage wholly, um, then it'll be different than if you came in six times over that same period of time and were reintroduced to, uh, to the gospel, et cetera. Um, I think it has more to do with when does a person truly place their faith and trust in Christ mm. and not just raise their hand, not just say, you know, I want to be different, not just, you know, try to get their get out of jail free card or whatever right. the motive may be to say something when it really hasn't been a heart change. Um, but even when the heart change comes to comes about, uh, there's still habits. And for many, um, behavior that violates the law and ends you up in jail is a habit. Uh, when I when I first went as a volunteer, the thing that struck me, one of the things that struck me was that for many, 
my dad was in jail. My mom was in jail. My brother's been in jail. My uncle's been in jail. Going to jail, I used to say this, was just like graduating from high school in my family. Like my, my family, mm-hmm. we graduated from high school. We went to college. That's what we did. For them, well, you just go to jail. It's just a thing. It just happens to you. And so that was an interesting perspective that I personally could have thought of no worse thing to happen in my life than to end up in jail, right? I, I, I can't think of anything else. But for them, it was just kind of par for the course. So there isn't an understanding of the implications of how that affects your life and your prospects and so on and your mindset because it's kind of ingrained. It's just it's not that big of a deal. So for some, they have to kind of work through all of that and realize, well, wait a second. Every time I'm in here, relationships are fractured. Uh, Opportunities are fractured, you know, and so it takes some a long time to kind of get there and get to that point. And for some, it takes decades Mm. before they finally come to the grips with that. You know, we say you finally get to the end of yourself. Well, the Mm. end of yourself sometimes is a long way off. For some of us, it comes very quickly. So um, there is no standard path. The folks who participate in our in our life learning program, Faith Pods, are in a more intensive environment. And some of our chaplains have suggested that the recidivism rate among those graduates who have spent up to 90 days in really intensive instruction and guidance and biblical uh, understanding is far less than the average. Um, okay. But the length of stay is really not the key because, you know, God's just planting seeds. For some of us, it took a long time anyways. We, we were doing, right. we, we weren't even behind bars and it just took a long time for the gospel message to really penetrate our hearts. So it's no different when you're in jail. Interesting. Well, this has been really enlightening for me, but let's take a moment to hear from today's sponsor. Uh, when we get back, we'll continue our discussion uh, on good news with today's guest, John Evans. Are you looking to grow your ministry but don't have the money or marketing knowledge to make that happen? There's good news. Google offers an advertising grant to churches and ministries that is worth $10,000 per month. This means that if your ministry is a 501c3 nonprofit, you are eligible to receive $120,000 per year in free advertising dollars. This allows you to place ads at the top of Google search results pages and drive thousands of visitors to your ministry website every month. Our sponsor, Click Nonprofit, helps your ministry acquire this Google Ad Grant and then manages your Google Ads to ensure you get the most out of the grant. Schedule a free consultation at clicknonprofit.com to learn more about how this grant can help your specific ministry. Mention the Ministry Growth Show when you sign up to get 20% off your first three months of management. Welcome back to the Ministry Growth Show. We've been talking with John Evans from the Good News Jail and Prison Ministry about connecting ministry, connecting and ministering to the incarcerated. Uh, John, how can churches and faith-based organizations support the work of chaplains in local jails and prisons? Well, one of the unfortunate and neat things, uh, positive thing that's available is there's a local jail in every county in America, pretty much. And so any church has access to a jail within their community. Um, And so the best way to support any chaplain is literally to call up the the facility, ask to speak to the chaplain. Uh, As a church, you want to get involved in those that God calls us to get involved with. I call them forgotten people groups. Well, prisoners are one of them and say, how can we help you? What do you need? Do you need volunteers? Do you need finances? Do you need resources? Do you need Bibles? And find out what they need. If there is no chaplain, then there typically is someone, sometimes it's called a volunteer coordinator, religious program coordinator that you can get a hold of. Same questions. How can we help? What can we do? Uh, during COVID, most volunteers have been locked out of jails and prisons from since 2020. And most jails and prisons have not allowed them back in yet. Uh, oh, so volunteer access has been extremely limited. And so in our case, our chaplains have been doing the work solo. 
Typically in a week, our chaplains would facilitate 30 to 40 hours of volunteer time where volunteers would be coming in and leading Bible studies and leading services and so on. During COVID, it's all been the chaplain doing it all by themselves. Okay. Um, so as the doors reopen, there may be new opportunities to get involved in some way, shape or form in your local facility. So uh, that's the, the first way. They happen to be in a place where good news has a presence. Um, those same questions apply, may have opportunities, but as well, uh, we're a nonprofit. So we always love people who want to give to support the work of chaplains. As I said earlier, thousands of people will pass through that facility this year. And if you'd like them to hear the gospel, receive a Bible, talk to someone about spiritual things, have that person available, then, uh, you know, you may be able to support that chaplain financially, praying for them, praying for the corrections officers. This is a group of people we actually are seeking to honor uh, the first week of May. Ronald Reagan, 1984, uh, declared the first week of May to be Corrections Officers Week. And he made a, a formal declaration that, hey, we want to honor these folks for the work that they do, the conditions under which they operate. And what's interesting is 40 years later, as you read his declaration, it, everything about that declaration still stands true. There are long hours, uh, difficult circumstances, stress, um, danger, uh, impact upon their families. Uh, some have stated that they suffer from PTSD and the implications are greater than people that have served in combat. So we want to honor corrections officers. So if you happen to know a corrections officer, thank them for what they do. We call them the first responders that nobody knows about. We think of the police, we think of the firefighters, but we don't think about corrections officers who are in more dangerous situations and they don't have weapons. <laughs> so they, they are really in, in harm's way and putting themselves in harm's way to serve, serve their community, to keep everybody inside and outside of the facility safe. So that's my little plug for corrections officers, but uh, they do an amazing work and, and we are honored to stand with them because they provide a great level of protection and service for us in order for us to go in and do what God's called us to do. Yeah. Do you find that you have opportunity to minister to corrections officers as your chaplains minister to prisoners and, in, and inmates and those that are incarcerated? We absolutely do. It's And it's one of the, we'll say, unintended ministry opportunities. You know, anytime you step mm -hmm. into a space, there's always ministry opportunities that you didn't imagine. Corrections officers have been, um, uh, has become over time a great uh, ministry opportunity for our chaplains. This is one of the values of us being um, a nonprofit, a third party. If the chaplain is a government employee, then uh, the incarcerated population can look at them as part of them, right? There's us and there's them. Good news, we stand in the middle. We're not part of either. We're not government and we're not uh, uh, inmates. So we get to be the pastor to everybody who is behind bars. As a matter of fact, you read our mission statement, we often say to minister to spiritual need of all who are behind bars, inmates and staff. So great opportunity to, to speak into their lives, to share Christ with them, to love on them, to, to um, pray with them and really seek to be uh, a friend to the officers as well as administration. Mm. Back to the discussion on church partnership, what is your guys' support model? Are you guys building an audience of individual donors or, you, or do you look to local church partnership uh, or some other model that you're pursuing? We accept it all. We need it all. So we have about 10,000 individuals, 9,000 individuals who support us, individuals, churches, and businesses who support us on an annual basis. So um, all of our funding... Um, comes from the community. People who care about those who are behind bars, most of them are people of faith, but we have people who just believe that uh, inmates deserve a second chance, that men and women, children who are behind bars uh, deserve care, they deserve support, and believe that the work of chaplains can have a positive impact. And so uh, we have people who, who have no faith that stand with us. But yeah, we rely upon God's people to support God's work. And so um, we welcome uh, sponsorships nationally, 
locally. A lot of folks invest in their local chaplain, but we have opportunities to support the organization as well as to support countries overseas. Uh, We have a program we call 3260. That's the approximate cost of providing uh, ministry in a a correctional facility overseas for a year, $3,260. Ensures that virtually every person in that facility might have an opportunity to receive a Bible, um, hear the gospel, talk to someone about spiritual things. So um, a lot of different ways that people can uh, participate financially, however the Lord would move them, whatever their passions may be. Okay. So a church could come in and go, hey, we want to take ownership of investing in our, our local church, supplying a chaplain, or sorry, our local jail or prison. We want to provide a chaplain for that space. We want to... Uh, all the things that would be in, included in that, a church could come alongside and say, we want to partner in that way with that, with our local regional jail or prison. Absolutely. If there's already a chaplain there with good news, then they can join us uh, on board. Again, there are other nonprofits or other ministries that they could come alongside of as well. And then if there is no chaplain, we'd love to explore that opportunity with them and say, hey, uh, sheriff or warden or whoever happens to be in charge of the facility, how could we co- how can we support religious programming? How can we okay. support your population with your community? And and uh, so we can come alongside in the community and and love to explore those opportunities. Exploring a couple of them right now in a couple of uh, a couple of new states. So um, cool. always looking for space where we can be helpful. But your, your chaplains aren't going out and raising their own funds and salary in order to go reach their local jail or prison, correct? Or well, they-, they actually do raise most of their funding locally. So the chaplains are involved. They have a team of volunteers that work with them, but individuals and churches in their communities. So most of our support in the U.S. does come from the communities where we have a chaplain. We do fundraising events. They meet with individuals. So. Um, most of our funding domestically is kind of community-based right around the areas, the counties where, where our chaplains are serving. Okay. And each chaplain has ownership over that correct. process yeah. within their region. Interesting. That's correct. Okay. Um, what are some of the ways that you guys are, are working to keep in touch with the audience? How are you getting, how are you getting them engaged beyond financial investment and excited about partnership with your organization? Like for example, your story is one of, it sounds like not just financial investment in a ministry like this, but coming alongside, leading Bible studies, volunteering with an organization. How do you get people plugged in at that level of investment and partnership um, and advocacy for, for your ministry? So that, particularly in COVID, that's been a challenge because the normal ambassadors that would go in as volunteers and then return and share what, what they're doing, you know, has been restricted, you know, almost, yeah. almost eliminated. Um, so organizationally, we are really keen on telling stories, stories of changed lives uh, because um, everybody just can't walk down to the jail and walk in the doors. So if you are a rescue mission, then everybody can come down and they might be able to serve food or get involved in some way, shape or form. One of the things we really struggle with is that that uh, young people, no facilities will allow anybody under the age of 18 to come in. So I get contacted regularly. Hey, our youth group would like to get involved and we just don't have a ready made uh, space for them because they're not permitted in. This past Christmas, though. We did something that was uh, new for us. Several years ago, about a decade ago, Willow Creek in uh, Chicago launched a program called Hope Packs. And Hope Packs was providing a gift in the gospel at Christmas to every incarcerated person in the Illinois Department of Corrections. So they'd grown their program up to 50 or 60,000 individuals. This year, good news joined in the movement. And so we launched Hope Packs here and around the world. In our first year, we delivered over 50,000 packages with gifts, food items, other things that the facility would allow, and the gospel message. In the U.S., it was a 200-page book that Willow Creek had developed overseas. It looked a little bit different. 
But 50,000 people at Christmas received a hope pack. And this created an opportunity in the communities where our chaplains are for people to be involved in packing parties, putting together these packages and recognizing that every person in that local facility was going to have an opportunity at Christmas to receive something. Mm -hmm. One of our chaplains, formerly incarcerated, received one of those hope packs from Willow Creek years ago, and that kind of directed us, excuse me, to the program. And he said, one of the things about about holidays, it says holidays is a very rough time when you're behind bars because you're separated from family and so on. He said, particularly at Christmas, there's the haves and the have nots. There are those who have family who write to them and send them cards and at least think of them. And then there's another half of the population that nobody cares. Nobody sends anything. Nobody calls. Nobody writes. He says, and it really created a lot of tension because, you know, the have nots were very upset about the fact that they were being left out. Hope packs levels the playing field. Everyone receives something. Everyone uh, was able to receive a gift. So we distribute over 30,000 of these overseas. In one of the facilities, Kasingu Prison in Malawi. Malawi is one of the poorest countries on earth. You're seeing it in the news right now because they've got a, a, a typhoon that's tearing the country apart. We brought hope packs to Kasingu Prison, about 1,000 inmates. The inmates in Kasingo prison had not eaten in two days because they had no firewood to make food. So these small treats that they received made Christmas a whole lot different in this facility than it was otherwise. So uh, just opportunities for the gospel to make a, a huge difference in the lives of people here and around the world. So that's, that is a, a new way that, that we are uh, able to get more people in the community involved. We do a lot of things in in print, uh, in media, just telling stories, emailing folks, just letting them know about the things about God is doing. Because most of the people that you're supporting who are behind bars, you're never, ever going to meet them. Hmm. So you're giving so the chaplains can go, but the population they're ministering to, you're probably never going to encounter them on the street and you're never going to even know who it is. So we'd like to right. tell you about these folks so that you can feel the encouragement of what God's doing. Yeah. Storytelling is our passion. So when you, when you said you guys are keen on storytelling and sto telling stories that, that always is uh, what gets me most excited. So what are some of the things that, um, what are some of the ways that you are telling stories to your audience specifically? Like what are some tangible things that you're doing that other ministry leaders can go, Oh, that's a great idea. I'd, I'd like to, incorporate that into our ministry? Hmm. I don't know. We've been super creative. Uh, our YouTube channel has just a whole library of stories and they vary in length. Some of them are our chaplains just telling that story. So we got, kind of got into that, that mode of a few years ago, um, whereby we just share the stories of, of people that, that we've encountered behind bars. Um, we have some, you know, professionally uh, made videos that document a person's total journey from uh, darkness into light. Um, mm -hmm. So that's been uh, neat. And then sometimes we just have a, a, a an incarcerated individual or someone formerly incarcerated who just sits down and just talks and just mm -hmm. shares uh, what what has happened in their life. You know, the basic elements of a testimony <laughs> before Christ, when I met Christ, what's happened after Christ. Yeah. Um, uh, we have the uh, we have the privilege with several of our folks to tell the story of someone who was formerly incarcerated who's now become a chaplain and talk about what their motivation is and they get to speak to it really from both sides of the bars you know i was behind bars here's what my experience was here's what god did here's how he moved me here's how he challenged me so um uh one of the things that we began to do several years ago was just to train our chaplains to do a better job of storytelling. Um, mm. How to tell a 90-second story, real powerful tool that just allows you to synthesize it. Because uh, we've all probably sat through a few too many missionary presentations where you never really got to the point. I'm a former missionary kid, so I, I can criticize missionaries. But we all, <laughs> we all do it sometimes. We assume that the audience is as interested in the topic as we are, and we think everybody's tracking, and then 15 minutes later, nobody remembers what we said. So. Be a little more concise, hit the point, let what God did shine and not get buried in the detail somewhere. 
Now, are you guys allowed to tell stories of the incarcerated in video form? Like sit somebody who is incarcerated down in front of a camera and have them tell their testimony. Is that allowed? Uh, in in very few contexts. So most local jails are actually maximum security. And the reason okay. of maximum security, because they have all classifications, most, uh, you know, 75% or more are pre-trial, meaning they've been arrested, but they haven't been to trial. So you've got every type of crime committed in your community being held inside that facility. So it's maximum security. So very few cameras are allowed in there. Occasionally we have encounters in a prison or someone uh, who, uh, maybe has been sentenced or the facility makes it possible for us to go in there for a short period of time. So not often do we have somebody behind bars able to tell a story that we've recorded, but we have a few of those. So there are some exceptions and we get releases and things from the individual. So we're within the constraints of the law. Okay. And then obviously once you, once somebody comes out and say they have had a transformational experience and, and have had that death to life transformation take place through Christ and, and they're no longer incarcerated. Now you've still got that relationship with that individual, right? So you can use yep. those stories to testify of what God's doing through your ministry in the hearts and minds of, of those that he's rescuing and redeeming in, uh, inside of the prison system, but they can still testify and, and get in front of a camera once they've come out. Correct. So we have some of those, many of those, and we host about 50 fundraising banquets a year all around the country. And every one of them has one or two individuals who will be sharing their story. And that's the highlight. That's the whole point, right? Everything yeah. that we do is all focused on these representatives and they represent everybody else who are still behind bars, are scattered, have moved on, whatever, but they represent the work that God is doing. And so we love to have just people share what God's done. Mm. What does that look like internationally where you may, do you have more access to inmates in, in prisons that are based in other countries or is it very similar or worse or more difficult to get somebody to testify of what God's doing in their heart? Maybe they're still so access. Over, yeah. Access overseas varies by countries, right? So depending on what country you're in, and depends on what's going on politically. Uh, so um, in one particular country um, that has communist roots, I'm not going to mention the, company, the country mm -hmm. specifically, uh, once upon a time we had free access. And then about six, seven years ago, uh, access was cut off. So our guys had to become creative in terms of how they were able to get in and, and access the population. So they developed a curriculum, a reentry curriculum. So something that would prepare the population for when they return to the community. The facility bought into it and said, yay, verily, love to have you come in and teach and train people and prepare them for reentry. So they go in, they build relationships, they connect them, they share with them about their church, even about their faith. So now when these citizens return, they now have a place that they can go and resources available. So some of our teams overseas have to get really creative even in terms of how they get behind the bars. Um, but in terms of, of stories and so on, um, I don't think we've ever videoed inside of a correctional facility. Uh, I was in Kenya about three years ago and got special permission to take pictures. Okay. Because we were bringing, um, we'll say humanitarian aid. We were bringing toilet paper and soap. Mm. which they didn't have. And so they allowed me to take pictures of that material being delivered. That was permissible, nothing else. So, okay. um, it, you know, so very restrictive, much like the U S. Yeah. Interesting. Well, John, this has been really enlightening for me and, and hopefully helpful for our audience. If, if uh, church leaders specifically want to get a hold of you or, or people want to learn more about what you guys are doing, how can they, how can they get in hold of you? How can they get involved? Goodnewsjail.org is the website. So that's the easiest way to find us, goodnewsjail.org. Um, and so links to our leadership team links to our programs, descriptions of what we do. Um, and as well, uh, if you want to be a chaplain, 
love to talk to you about what that might look like, um, be it in your community or in another place where we have opportunities. We always have openings. We're always looking for people that are feeling the Lord, leading them to minister to this population. Uh, it is a most fruitful ministry. Um, many of our chaplains have pastoral ministry in their background, and most would tell you, I, uh, I prefer this work because in a church, I spend half my time convincing people they have a problem. And here I don't have to convince them they have a problem. If you're behind bars, clearly life hasn't gone well. So they are receptive to the gospel. But th that's the best way to get a hold of us, goodnewsjail.org. Now, that spurs on another question. Can say I am a pastor of a local church and like that's my specific call, but I've got some spare time. Can I still retain my pastoral position at my local church and do chaplaincy work with you guys? Most of our chaplains serve at least half time. Okay. Um, so half time and full time is kind of where we are, but we do have some chaplains who are bivocational. They've got a church. And um, uh, so uh, we, we're always open to exploring, you know, how the Lord might, might put some pieces together. So um, uh, we're not restrictive in that regard, but again, we'd love to talk to someone about what they're thinking and, and uh, even exploring how we might just come alongside of a community, even if it's not a good news chaplain. We're, we are nothing special, right? It's the gospel that changes, changes lives. Right. It's not the work of a chaplain. The chaplain can be the spokesperson, but our, our desire is that every man and woman behind bars today would hear the good news of Jesus Christ and become a growing disciple. And so we're, we, we're glad to come alongside of others. We're glad to help others, equip others, whatever we can do, reach out and we'll, we'll, we'll uh, serve and support you best we can. Awesome. Well, John, can I pray for you and good news? Absolutely. Great. Father, we just thank you so much for this time together. Um, we pray that you would grow and um, bless this ministry. I pray that you would lead John and he's, as he leads his team, um, that you would just continue to open up opportunities, provide staff and, and, and chaplains for their ministry so that they can continue to um, reach those that are incarcerated, those that have um, the prisoners, those that are um, yeah, struggling through difficult situations. Father, there's incredible opportunity, obviously, in, uh, in that space for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of your name, to introduce you to people who are in need. And uh, let's pray that you would just... Go before good news and um, bless and, and guide and lead and provide wisdom and, and direction and clarity, Father. Thank you for John and his willingness to step into this position and, um, and lead this team well. Father, I pray that you would uh, bless him for that. And we just thank you so much that we get to be a part of what you're doing, that we get to come alongside you in your redemptive work, Lord. Um, we thank you so much for that. And yeah, we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. John, thanks so much for being on the show. And uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we're excited to continue following what you guys are doing. Thank you, Zach. Appreciate the, uh, the opportunity to be here. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Ministry Grow Show. If you enjoyed it, we'd appreciate it if you rate and or review us on the iTunes store. And make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you have a story to share with other ministry directors and pastors, or know someone who would be an incredible guest on the Ministry Grow Show, let us know. We love connecting with ministry executives and sharing their wisdom and insight with our audience. Just send us an email at info at reliantcreative.org. And lastly, if you need help telling your ministry story, we would love to share how we can help in that process. Check out Reliant Creative at reliantcreative.org. See you next time.